Hello, I'm CM Conway, the filmmaker of the witty and poignant indie, How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood, now on Prime Video, and FunnyFailureFilm.com. On this now monthly podcast, we celebrate funny flubs, bodacious blunders, and miraculous missteps that happen to us as artists. So hone your funny bone and let's get started. Hello, I'm CM Conway, the filmmaker of the witty and poignant indie, How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood, now on Prime Video and FunnyFailureFilm.com. On this show, we celebrate funny flubs, bodacious blunders, and miraculous missteps that happen to us as artists. So hone your funny bone and let's get started. Greetings from the Bay Area, California, where this podcast is recorded. Today I'm going to share with you a story that didn't end up in our film, How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood. And on this show, we share stories of slip-ups and how we can use them as stepping stones in our creative process. And if you're an artist and you'd like to share your story on the show of a mishap that's happened in your journey, visit funnyfailurefilm.com and click on Share Your Story. One of the many reasons why I share some of my fabulous flubs. Because once we started sharing our female-led, grassroots, bootstrap Indian theaters, people started to share with me how they related because a lot of the experiences in the film are inspired by my own blunders. Of course, you never know if the personal is going to be universal. But sure enough, people felt more liberated to share with me how they related to a lot of the funny fails that are depicted in the film. And the film is most certainly a comedy, so it looks through the lens of humor. But like in life, there are poignant moments, and the film is really dedicated to all the courageous unknown actors just trying to make it against all odds, and the power of friendship, which is portrayed by the two lead characters in the film, Ellie and her Latinx gay friend Ben, and how they make a difference in each other's lives. And I also came to realize how common a lot of the experiences portrayed in the film happen with other actors. So this story ended up on the cutting room floor of the film. The time I found out, I booked a national commercial. It was my first. I was out of town in Seattle working when I got the call. I was so excited because I remember during the audition of this commercial, I had a bit of a breakthrough because auditions can be very nerve-wracking experiences. And I recall during this particular commercial audition was one of those times I was able to get out of my way and do the work at hand. And I had done my share of extra work. And this was a role where I actually get to speak on camera. So it was many firsts for me and I was thrilled. So the day of the shoot arrives. I went into a wardrobe fitting earlier that week and that was really fun. So when I arrived on set, I found out that my part would be filmed later in the day. So I went to hair and makeup and dressed in my assigned upscale casual clothes. I remember having lunch at a table and sat next to 
one of the extras outside, and she asked me what part I was playing, and I replied I was one of the principals. And she suddenly apologized to me for not knowing. And I laughed, and I told her it wasn't too long ago that I was doing extra work, so no worries. After lunch, I went with the photographer, who was shooting me for the layout of the corresponding magazine campaign. He asked me to look sternly into the camera. This was a car company commercial, centered on the concept that consumers deserve certain liberties and shouldn't put up with poor treatment from the other car companies. Later in the afternoon, I went on set to film my first part of the commercial. So it involved improvisation as I was supposed to act like I was becoming increasingly impatient as I waited alone in a room as my car was being fixed. They shot from way across the room, and the director just told me to pretend I was waiting for a long time. What was interesting is he didn't yell action or cut, and just kept the camera rolling and rolling. So I tapped my feet, looked at the clock, went into my purse. You know, real method acting. (laughs) And afterwards, the director walked by me and said, nice job. That felt so good. One of the executives said, it looked like you didn't even know the camera was on you. And I thought to myself, yep, that's the point. Excellent. So we went directly to filming the second half of my part, and it was a close-up in a large, lit showroom with many shiny cars. I was to say the same lines to the camera as I did during the audition. And the sound guy quickly threaded me with a microphone, and hair and makeup quickly rebrushed my hair and rebuffed my face. And I took a breath and I looked up. And there was a high-tech camera right in my face. Much closer than in the audition. And I thought to myself, it's okay. It's okay. I did the audition. I can do the same thing here now. And this camera, if it had a personality, it was neutral and it just wanted to get the job done in as little time as possible. It was not there to play patty cake. And I started to get nervous and I looked over at the makeup woman who had her arms crossed and a little scowl on her face. So it threw me a little as I saw the director walk and sit in the back of the room in a chair. A crew member gave me my lines written down on a piece of paper that I held below the camera's line. And it all happened so fast. Boom, boom, boom. All the crew stood in their places and the room fell quiet. Action, said the director. So I said each of the lines as close as I could to how I said them during my audition. I figured if it got me the role... It would work now. And the director called out across the room that I had a little edge and could I lighten up the reading. I tried again and he called across the room and said the second reading wasn't too much different. I tried again. He also had to correct the same word I mispronounced almost every time. Now, I could pronounce this word perfectly up until that day and I have pronounced this word perfectly since. It's just one of those strange things that can happen during filming where your mind takes a leave of absence when you need it most. So what I began to realize was I was still carrying some of that impatient energy from the last section that we just filmed in the waiting room. So as an actor, I didn't do a transition from that section as we went to my close-up because it happened so fast. So it was making my reading a little funky. And I was feeling off my center. And it happens sometimes as an actor. And I've heard other actors talk about this. That anxiety can just start creeping in 
when it's your moment, when it's your close-up. There's a lot of pressure. It's a high-stakes situation. It can just snowball fast. And you have to have tools to get back to your center quickly. Otherwise, you're just going to melt like a puddle on the floor. And that's just not the perfect scenario when the camera is pointed right at you. So I had to pull out an acting trick to get me back to my center fast. Time was ticking. The crew was waiting. It was just starting to feel that this could just take a turn for the worse if I don't do something to nip this in the bud right now. So I took a deep breath. I looked down and I closed my eyes. Now, I'm certain they were probably wondering, what is she doing? We're all waiting here. Why isn't she saying her lines? But I just knew I had to do this. And then suddenly, a beautiful, grassy mountain scene arose in my mind. I don't know where it came from. But I grew up in an area that was filled with beautiful mountains. So it's possible that one of them decided to come visit me during this moment. And suddenly, I just felt more calm. I felt more grounded. And I was just praying that this little mountain would do the trick. So I opened my eyes and I said the first line again into the camera. Like that, the director said. Say each of the lines like that. I don't know how I did it, but I continued to do it. And then we were done. I felt like it took me a while to get it right. Honestly, it felt like an eternity when we were filming. And I spoke to one of the executives afterwards, and I said, I think I was still in the waiting room, so to speak, when it was time to film the close-up of my lines. He was affable, and he shrugged, and he seemed to think it went fine. In fact, he didn't appear to quite know what I was talking about. And I thought to myself, whew, it is lively in here, in the interior of an actor's world. A focused look can look like a scowl. A word you've known forever can suddenly sound foreign. A few mistakes can feel like a failure when the film is rolling on your first real commercial during your close-up. Do you know that I got holding fees for over a year and a half after shooting that commercial and had an additional print fee that tied me over for quite a while? It was my first time being in an ad campaign ever. But wouldn't you know, it was a dot-com car company and the ad never went public and the commercial never aired. And at that point, it just seemed the story of my life. So I guess I'll title this one, Be in a National Commercial That Never Airs. Thank you for joining us in the How to Successfully Fail in Hollywood podcast. Copyright by Showstoppers and FunnyFailureFilm.com Intro and outro song, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star by David Mumford. Until next time, remember, mistakes makes art more interesting. <laughs>